Audio Gyan with Kedar Nimkar, a podcast that documents insightful conversations with Indian designers, artists, musicians, writers, thinkers, and creatives of all types. Catch us on iTunes or visit audiogyan.com for more Gyan sessions. Here's your host, Kedar Nimkar. I recently had a small revelation that why have I interviewed so many architects despite being a UI designer? I could also connect few dots about why am I so interested in architecture and education. Architect comes from a Latin word architectus, which comes from a Greek word architecton. Architecton is composed of two parts: archi, to be the first, and tekton, which means the builder. That is the first one who builds. And I was always uh, fond of this builder as a word. It it was very fascinating for me. On the other hand, edifice means a building. which uh, doesn't mean just any building to merit being called an edifice a building must be important so a mini temple can be edifice or an educational building which can transform you can also be called as an edifice basically zen spirituality education architecture places of worship i see in my mind all to be interconnected somewhere and that's why i have none other than prem chandavarkar with us on audio gyan Prem is a managing partner at CNT Architects, an award-winning and widely published architectural practice based in Bangalore. He needs no introduction to the people in the world of architecture and education. With experience of over 40 years, uh, he is an academic advisor and guest faculty at several colleges of architecture. He has been documenting a lot of his thoughts and ideas online through blogs and videos. I met Prem at Frame Conclave last year and was in awe with his lecture on. human within the architect i'm going to post as many links as i can in the show notes below uh, to read more of his stuff and this is already being a very long intro so without further ado i welcome prem uh, thanks thanks prem for giving your time and frankly i'm really short of words to thank you for being on the show giving your time at all it's my pleasure and thank you for inviting me here yeah uh, so as i mentioned yeah the the basic premise is about In fact, I would also like to thank Ruturaj Parik uh, from Matter uh, for connecting me and also collaborating on this uh, audio gyan. So the basic premise is Zen and education. So what I've uh, the way I would like to structure this episode is Prem is obviously going to do most of the talking here, and I'll probably nudge him with few questions. Uh, the basic premise being like one of the Zen doctrines, which I've I'm very fascinated with, which is. when you don't know zen rivers are rivers and mountains are mountains uh, when you are learning zen rivers are not rivers mountains are not mountains and when you have learned zen uh, rivers are rivers and mountains are mountains i mean for simplicity we can call it 1 2 3 or also we can call it thesis antithesis and then synthesis so i would parse almost all questions in this within this framework and uh, so prem first uh, thing which i want to ask you is like what's your definition of education i mean we can start with the thesis and then what was the conflict or what was the antithesis which you um, uh, encountered and if you have reached synthesis in the last 30 40 years of your understanding of education in general well one's understanding is still developing but uh, i would uh, empathize perhaps most with uh, Uh, the way it's defined by the famous Brazilian educationist Paulo Freire, 
Mm-hmm. And uh, he says that uh, education is not about acquiring knowledge or about acquiring skills. It's about being empowered to have the freedom to personally participate in the transformation of the world. So uh, the, eventually that's the goal of education. You don't treat the student as an empty vessel into which you can pour knowledge and skills. You have to empower the student to uh, Recognize the student as a person with that, that own inner spirit, inner energy, and uh, and then facilitate the flowering of that spirit. Uh, I think this this is this is not a new word. It's captured in Indian tradition also. Uh, the word guru, the etymology uh, of that word is the dispeller of darkness, and uh, the guru is the person who lifts the veil of darkness that has been. Covered by the student uh, that is covering the student, a veil that might have come through social convention or, or some other force, and once that veil is lifted, a light that is shining within the student is revealed, both to the student himself or herself and to the world at large, and that should be the goal of education. So I I see a strong correlation there with uh, Zen when you're talking about it because Zen is all about building inner awareness of the spirit. Mm-hmm. But did you find any conflict? I mean, like the reason why I put this uh, this doctrine is because when you start off with a definition, you have certain uh, when you start off with a ideology, you have certain assumptions, and then you enter a conflict. So the classic example which I typically would like to pitch is that you say that non-violence is uh, not good, and uh, that's that's the thesis and then you enter a hypothesis then then why are these gods have weapons and uh, why why do they talk about violence in certain stories and tales and then finally you have like a synthesis that yes violence is good but maybe for like self defense or pushing the crime so there is this cycle of learning unlearning and then learning so i wanted to ask you like is that definition of education changed uh, in in the due course I think the mainstream definition of education is not as per the way I just defined it uh, right now the mainstream definition is all about uh, bringing the student into conformance with a predetermined notion of the world and that is deeply damaging and the reason that is damaging is that you define standards in terms of external benchmarks you say there's a doctrine to be followed or or you say there's a proper way the world should be and if you're always uh, going for these external benchmarks you're erasing the self of the student uh, the the whole goal of education should be to light a spark within that self so uh, for example you you mentioned this doctrine of non violence uh, if you just accept it as a doctrine uh, it's a rule you must follow then you you're not really getting into the spirit of non violence because you're actually being very violent towards yourself you're erasing yourself what you have to do is realize that you have a spirit and you see that same spirit in everyone around you and once you see that same spirit in in everyone else around you and and this is not something that requires some deep philosophy this just requires everyday experience in our relationships we find how you know with the people we love the same things make us laugh the same things make us cry the same things give us joy and that's because we find those resonances in others and once you see that same spirit then you realize that to harm someone else is almost like harming yourself then you if you if you are living non violence if you are being non violence that's one thing 
But if you are just following non-violence as some external rule, some doctrine that's been handed down to you, then you're really not practicing non-violence. So, so education should be all about evoking that spirit. I, th I think one of the phrases that uh, uh, you know made me aware of this very early in my life. I had the fortune my first job uh, out after graduating from architecture school was to join Kanvinder Rai and Chaudhary. And I was working under Murad Chaudhary. And uh, Murad had been a teacher too. And he was one day just chatting with me and talking about his experience as a teacher. And he said something I'll never forget. He said, I cannot teach architecture because architecture is not teachable in that sense. But what I can do is I can go to the school of architecture and I can communicate my passion for architecture. And if a student gets infected by that passion, then that student will learn architecture on their own. And I think that's that's really the goal of all teaching. So does that mean, I mean, then where do these skill sets, uh, these technical aspects of uh, architecture will fit in? Just to, just to extend this example further, then where will the practical aspects or the theoretical aspects will come in? Because what you're talking about is the spirit uh, is the main soul of uh, someone learning. But there are these external factors as well, right? Yeah, but uh, the problem is just because they're much easier to define, we tend to make them uh, central. I mean, let, let me give you an example. I, I, I straddle both worlds of academia and practice, but I'm actually, I spend more time in practice than in academia. Hmm. And I, I've uh, had very little formal involvement with academia. I'm not, you know, listed as a full-time faculty anyway. I've never been, except very briefly for two years. But uh, one of the things that I keep hearing uh, educators say is about how they need to inculcate these skills and knowledge sets in their students so that the students are employable in practice hmm. as soon as they graduate. And this, this kind of attitude, which is very mainstream, but it bothers me a great deal. And it bothers me not as an academic, but as a practitioner, because I have found that uh, it's actually very easy for me to cover gaps in technical knowledge. All I need to do is apprentice a young architect with a senior architect. And if they are intelligent and willing to learn and hardworking, within six months, they're up to speed. They're reasonably productive. But I cannot cover for gaps in the ability to, to think, to be creative. Uh, I'm not organized to do that as a practice. I have to depend on the schools to do that and feed me with graduates who have that ability. So, so what happens when I don't get graduates who uh, can do this? I mean, one is lucky and find some who can do it, but quite often it's because of their own inner ability rather than what the school has taught them. But if I don't get uh, graduates who are, are, can be critical and are thinking and, and that starts shaping my practice, and then I, I become a commodity practice because I cannot differentiate myself from any other practice because we're just, you know, the nuts and bolts skills. And uh, once I become a commodity practice, uh, the only way I can differentiate myself from competing practices is by fees, by, by lowering my fees. And this culture of undercutting each other on fees is an ingrained aspect of architectural practice in India because of the failure of the educational system. So this claim to serve practice is actually undermining it. So, uh, so yes, skills are necessary, but you've got to remember that skills uh, have, have uh, uh, acquire a value only, only when they serve some deeper purpose. 
some purpose of fulfillment, some purpose of transcendence, some purpose of beauty or of joy. Uh, if skills uh, help us to, you know, our bridges that connect us with that, and we cannot look at skills as things in themselves. Mm, beautiful. So I had done one uh, um, audio again long time with uh, one of uh, my friends. He's also he's been teaching for ten years now, and uh, what he mentioned was uh, that like we had a debate of like okay like there is a classical theory a classical debate of theory versus practical right uh, mm. and then if you say okay let's let's have a completely practical school so you you give two stones and you build all over again is that is that a recommended path or then you just stand on the shoulders of giants and then build on top of it so i i can see some sort of pedagogical system ka argument in your thing so if you can extend that and help us uh, like share your view on how much theory or how much practical would make sense uh, because you're bringing in a third different direction also of intent right so yeah. like if you can how how like what would be the ideal system then well I, i i mean firstly i just emphasize that we can't avoid the the question of uh, i'd rather use the word purpose rather than intent okay. but uh, you know we are we are always trying to deal with what is our purpose why am i here what you know why am why have i specifically as a being been placed in this universe hmm. we are always trying to find some meaning in that so i, I think and that that's what motivate motivates us and drives us Okay. but to get back to your issue of practice and theory one has to look at the relationship between the two and uh, there is a fallacy we tend to operate by which uh, says that you first construct a philosophy or a theory and then you apply it in practice uh, okay. so so practice is just applied theory but uh, actually that's not the case at all uh, they they cover the same territory but in different directions uh practice starts from the general and moves to the specific so let's say i'm doing a project i start with something like something general like i a design brief hmm. then i start getting into specificities of the site and then i might come up with uh, maybe three conceptual options then i pick one to develop then i convert that into a schematic then i have to see how i can make that constructible then i have to manage the contracting process and the construction process now you see at each step in the process i'm moving more and more to the level of detail and if i do nothing but that in my life then as my center of gravity as a person starts getting shifted to the level of detail and i become that nuts and bolts architect who's who cannot connect to wider issues a uh, theory does exactly the opposite it looks at a very specific observation and seeks to generalize it say what rules what principles can we derive from this observation of this very specific set of observations and it tries to develop wider and wider viewpoints and if i do nothing but that my center of gravity as a person moves to the level of abstraction and i become the stereotypical ivory tower academic so the two work best when they contradict each other when they critique each other when theory is a way of critiquing practice practice is a way of critiquing theory and we 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 made a great mistake in segregating them into separate spaces we say theory belongs in the world of academia practice in the world of design firms but we need spaces both in the uh, educational institutes and in the practicing firms we are, both have got to be spaces that combine theory and practice mm-hmm. those those who are effective professionals learn how to do this but uh, 
<clears throat> that's not the way the education system uh, schools us correct correct so i have to i have to I have to keep uh, listening to this again uh, to to understand but broadly what you are trying to say is one probably practice moves from macro to micro and that's where you become specialized mm-hmm. and then the other one is at a micro level you understand things uh, for the to yeah. to to understand the macro part okay okay let let me give you a concrete experience uh, example to uh, explain this yeah please uh, one one teaching experience i will always remember when a good uh, friend and professional colleague who's also very interested in education navnath kanade and i were actually a whole group of us had gone to the college of architecture in hassan and uh, but navnath and i were paired together and we we were talking to students in first year of architecture school and we were talking to this young girl who was uh, doing her first ever architectural design project they just done some courses in basic design before that but this was her first architectural project and she was just beginning on it and she was terrified she said i can't do this it's asking too much of me so we asked her why not and uh, the project they'd been asked to design was a small kindergarten and she said uh, there has to be a path from the front door of this building to the entrance gate of the compound i don't even know how wide that path should be how can you expect me to design an entire building <laughs> and somehow navnath and i didn't answer that question directly uh, so we started uh, asking her okay if you're walking along that path how much space do you think you'll take oh you you this is a kindergarten you're probably holding a child by the hand how much space will that take oh there's there'll be someone coming from the opposite direction oh that person also might be uh, you know leading a child by the hand and and through these sort of you know step by step questions she arrived at the conclusion that the path needed to be between 2 and 1/2 and 3 meters wide mm-hmm. and when she arrived at this conclusion navnath said to her see you knew you knew the answer why did you ask us and and i'll never forget the light that lit up in her eyes and i and i strongly believe it's not because she learned the width of a path but she had learned that she could interrogate her own experience to find the answer to a question that she wasn't sure what the answer was so so this it's a it's a very simple example but this question of interrogating your experience theorizing your experience and then once you've theorized it you actually you actually test it with your body you 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 know you test it with a practice uh, what what you theorize so so it's it's that it's a back and forth critique so i i think this this is a small but it's a powerful example because it illustrates a very deep principle mm-hmm. and that's what education should be doing uh, we have a very misplaced sense of education uh, actually the word curriculum for example uh, if you ask if you go to any college and i've been on some uh, academic boards in colleges in india and you ask them about curriculum and they'll just talk about syllabus about content hmm. and, and they'll say yeah and they'll say this is this is my curriculum this is my structure of courses and within each course this is what uh, will be taught this is the skill that will be taught this will be the knowledge that will be conveyed hmm. and but curriculum actually has three components and content is just one of them the second is values and the third is pedagogy the the notion of teaching how you teach and it's at pedagogy you you have the spark of connection where you you awaken the student you you know you you lead the student through the process of interrogating their experience so i think that is actually the core 
uh, of education, but we, we privilege content. And that, that's, a, that's a deep mistake. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is like a really thing to think about. But then do you, so, so looking at the practical aspect, do you think that's why we, like we have these two notions that he's not civil, but he's educated or he's educated, but he's not civil. Uh, do you think that this is because of the system? In fact, if you can explain or or just share your thoughts about what is being civil or what is being educated also. Because we have we have like really talented and educated people on Twitter, but trolling someone. I mean, I, I don't understand where is this coming from? Uh, I think the first thing, if you are truly educated, is that you will be humble mm-hmm. because you will you will have discovered the, you know, the the glory of the world and what architecture can be. Hmm. Uh, there's a wonderful story about Louis, Louis Khan uh, who was talking to his students and uh, he said architecture is and he paused and the students thought he was searching for the next word then they realized to him it was a complete sentence architecture is and he goes on to explain that the spirit of architecture is eternal and every work of architecture is a quest to reach that spirit and that 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 is that is what we are trying to do. We are trying to connect with a purpose, with the world that is greater than ourselves. What what are we trying to do? What am I trying to do when I uh, do uh, what I would call a good design? It, I think I would do a disservice to architecture if I just looked at it from an egotistic sense of saying I want to win recognition for this. I want to win all the design awards. Yes, it would be nice to win the awards, but the primary purpose should be to offer something emancipatory, something transcendental to the person who's inhabiting that space. Mm-hmm. And for that, you have to connect to something that is greater than yourself. And, and if you do that, um, then, then you cannot help but be humble because you're always connected to something that is far greater than yourself. And uh, I know that uh, when I make this argument, a lot of people, People say uh, that can't be true because there are a lot of great architects who are known for their egos. But uh, my my belief about that is when when you're in that creative moment, you are lost. Your ego is dissolved. You you are just in you know in awe before the spirit of architecture. The problem is you come out of that moment. You're not forever just designing. And when you come out of that moment, if you, if you come out of that moment with your ego dissolved, you're coming out naked and vulnerable. So how do you deal with that? And there's some, some who learn how to deal with that. So, you, you know, you have architects like uh, master architects like Jeffrey Bava and Carlos Capa who, di- who didn't want to talk at all. They just presented their work and they didn't want to say anything more. But there are other, other people sort of compensate by going to the other extreme by suddenly covering their nakedness with ego and a very strong ego. Mm. Very, very fascinating. Very beautiful. And then, um, like referring to my introduction, I spoke about edifice. So, mm. like, do you see any relation between the etymology of these words, education, uh, coinciding with architecture, coinciding with... Uh, with Zen in general? Uh, I can't say I'm a real scholar of Zen, so I'm not sure uh-huh. how to answer that question. Uh, no, but at least edifice uh, is what I've, I've recently trying to dig around uh, about the etymology also. And, and it somewhere says that it means to build and metaphorically, or, that is metaphor, 
but here you are actually building something even education builds a character of a person so do you see any any synergy between these two three concepts i i equate the word edifice with monument really and it's talking about a certain kind of architecture that's monumental mm-hmm. and uh, for example there's a the, the i was just having a discussion in my office yesterday we are going over the a passage from victor hugo's hunchback of notre dame and uh, his argument uh, in that chapter is that uh, until uh, the printed book came about architecture was a register of human thought if if a generation wanted to immortalize an idea architecture was the best way to do it and therefore it acquired this name uh, of being the mother of the arts but once printing came about an idea could be copied thousands of times and scattered all over the world and architecture could not compete with that ubiquity and uh, so so therefore uh, the printed word became the primary register of uh, human thought and architecture just became you know was reduced to geometry <laughs> now that that's an argument that uh, holds water when you just talk about monumental architecture and that's what hugo is talking about and he in and the translation of his uh, book in most versions uses the word edifice in fact so there there's a there's the monumental buildings there's the cathedral there's the you know the the palace and which which is communicative you know and at one time the carvings of stone were literally narratives to communicate but there was there was a mass of building behind it which uh, didn't have that role so as so once you talk about this notion of the edifice you're talking about something that stands out uh, from the rest of building it's you're not you're not equating architecture with building and uh, and uh, i mean nicholas pelsner the famous architecture critic uh, and historian uh, made the famous statement saying a bicycle shed is a building lincoln cathedral is architecture so uh, mm-hmm. so i i think that's a false uh, uh, distinction because the role of architecture is not to communicate the role of architecture is not to be just a medium for the expression of an individual genius the role of architecture is to create spaces for inhabitation and to uh, empower and emancipate the kind of inhabitation you can create so i believe that meaning in architecture is something that accrues over time through the process of inhabitation because people you know build memories of that inhabitation and uh, so so the test of a, of great architecture is not do you look at it and say wow the test is can can i live there for for 5 years and look back at those years with affection so if you start looking at it that way everything is architecture because you're looking at architecture from the point of experience not not from the point of communication uh, and uh, mm-hmm. so, so i think this you know looking at it from the point of experience rather than communication changes changes the picture and uh, so so i i don't use the word edifice at all okay mm-hmm. i guess i'm trying to connect uh, in my mind at least the dots because i mean the the experience of things uh, which you are experiencing right now in the, in this internet world is uh, almost very homogeneous and you are not able to uh, like atul pete one of the greatest uh, playwrights of uh, marathi literature he calls it sapati karan which is like flattening everything and this is also seen in architecture as well so i think uh, it's it's borrowing from 
the experience and then manifesting itself into these structures as well yeah but that that's if you are looking at it from the viewpoint of visual impact correct but correct. there's so many other dimensions you can look at it uh, uh, for example one of the questions i often get asked by students is uh, how can i create an architecture by students in india how can i create an architecture that is uniquely indian do i just have to adopt the historical styles of the past mm-hmm. uh, can i do something that's contemporary yet indian and my answer to that is yes but you got to look at other clues for example uh, the angle of the sun now many of us might be influenced by uh, buildings we see designed in northern europe or the united states or the united kingdom uh, or parts of japan and uh, these are all uh, latitudes that are far north of us and the angle of the sun is is much lower it's closer to the horizontal so in that kind of a sun the the shadow cast by the vertical plane is stronger uh mm-hmm. and uh, but uh in in india where which is more tropical and temperate uh, the shadow the, the sun is has a, is much more vertical so the mm-hmm. shadow cast by the horizontal plane is stronger and therefore uh, uh, and also because we are a temperate climate you have the luxury of creating a transparency across space so actually to see that variation in light across the ground plane so if you are looking through a, a, a courtyard house for example and you see the the ground plane is dark and then light and dark again and light beyond that uh, that that's a fundamental part of the indian aesthetic in architecture and if you do that you can do something that is highly contemporary and totally indian because it will come to life only in the indian sun and and then then you start becoming aware of uh, how the sun moves and you start becoming aware of the slope of the land and there's so many things in architecture if you're getting into the true spirit of it that are so unique to that site it's not reproducible in the cut and paste of the internet kind of strategy yes there are architects who do operate that way but that's something very shallow yeah yeah and and speaking about uh, environment or sun in general uh, is there any other axis also i mean like climate is one like big part uh, environment mm. uh, one is obviously the culture and the upbringing and and what sort of education uh, you got in in understanding architecture at large and is there any other uh, access to it i always uh, keep telling youngsters that uh, what you have to learn to do is trust yourself the greatest access is you know access to what you're seeking is within you um uh, okay uh, let let me give you another quotation from louis kant to illustrate this mm-hmm. uh he he said that a, a great building must start with the unmeasurable mm-hmm. must go through measurable means while it is being designed and must end with the unmeasurable mm-hmm. and uh yeah, when beautiful. he talk when he talks about the unmeasurable he you know in one of his other discussions he talks about saying uh can i capture the consciousness of a rose uh so so he does things like in the sock institute he, he says he seeks to capture the consciousness of the sun mm. so there's this courtyard with whose access is directly west towards the setting sun and he has this narrow water channel down the middle of the courtyard which uh becomes so dynamic in the way it reflects the setting sun see see that space at that hour of the day is magical i have not seen it myself but i've seen videos of it and even the video is is captivating so so here he said uh, 
I want to capture the consciousness of, a, of the sun. And, and he's done it. And he's had to go through measurable means in the process that uh, in working out the proportion and materiality of the courtyard. But at the end of it, it becomes unmeasurable again. Now, how do you know the unmeasurable? And, and a lot of the things that uh, are valuable in life, what do you consider valuable in life? You ask any ordinary person, you don't need to ask an architect this. And they'll say, what I value is love, affection, friendship, wonder, beauty, joy, uh, things like that. Now, these are all intangible things. They're all unmeasurable things. But when, when you live them, you know their reality within your body. Mm-hmm. They are real. They're not, they're not something abstract. They're real. They affect you to the point that it can even have physiological impacts. Right? I mean, if, if, you, if you're stressed, you're, you suffer ill health. If you're, if you're calm and peaceful, your health is better. So, so, so it actually has tangible impacts. But the, it, in fact, it's the intangible that has the most powerful impacts. But your own body is the first site of discovery. And, and then the second site is to see the resonance between your body and another person's body. And, and this is the way we intuitively live. Okay? But, so like how, how do you find friends? You don't find friends by constructing a philosophy of friendship. If you try that, you wouldn't have friends. You, you uh, have friends by just spending time non-judgmentally listening and finding those resonances. Mm. And then friendship emerges and you, and you give it the space to emerge. And all, I mean, that's the way we intuitively live, but we are schooled to forget it. We are, as children, we are intuitively within wonder, always seeking to learn, we are absorbing you know, the stuff like sponges and, and always thirsty for more. But we're schooled out of that. We're schooled into a sophistication. We're told to believe in sophistication rather than to remain in wonder. Yeah. So, so education is highly misplaced in its priorities. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, I think a, a true teacher will always connect with that. Mm. Yeah, and so when, true, so true. And, and when, when, when the teacher does that, Students stay connected. Uh, I, one, I once heard a lecture by this uh, famous tennis coach, Nick Boletieri. And although he has never played professional tennis himself, he's coached uh, I mean, amongst his students. I think there are some 10 people who reach the number one ranking in the world. And he said, how do I measure my success? He says, I measure my success by the contacts my students have with me after I've stopped teaching them. Wow. And, you know, he, he, if they keep coming back to him, uh, he, they might have stopped playing tennis. They might come, they might call him to t- talk about something completely different, not tennis or something like that. But, mm. but he says, if I've done that, then I've lit the spark and that connection of the lighting of the spark is there and it will always be. And you think back to who are the sort of, you know, formative teachers who have really valued you. You feel driven to stay in touch with them. You don't feel the relationship is ended when I graduate. Because so that's what I say, pedagogy, the spark of pedagogy is so important. The human connection is, it is actually the core of education. And that's, that's what we need to get at. Mm-hmm. Very true, very true. In fact, um, this Louis Khan uh, quote, which you mentioned about, I had just introduced with that when I did uh, an audio again with Vijay Ramachandran. So we spoke about uh, the same lines. Very, very interesting. In fact, and, and one more thing which I remembered is that uh, with uh, in one of, I, I recently read somewhere that 
like there's a great author writer everything like like a multi talented artist um, named pula deshpande yeah. and uh, someone asked him that how can i be unique in the work i do and he just say do good work Mm. and it will be sort of unique so i can mm. like i'm just connecting the dots and trying to uh build something in my mind anyway so uh i'll conclude with one last question so like what is the long term can, can i just uh, say since you mentioned this thing about unique yes please uh, there, there's there's a beautiful passage by the dancer martha graham mm-hmm. and she says uh, uh the uh, there is something that flows through you and because you are unique what will come through that flow is also unique and if you suppress that voice the world will do something so you have to keep that channel open open and i interpret what she, what she's saying as stuff that is transcendental eternal mm. what when you are a creative person you 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 make it reborn every day if 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 the if the, the, the and that's the beauty of life that uh, stuff deteriorates and you you give it another birth that's what life is all about right mm-hmm. so the universal being you know being reborn through the unique is is what it's all about and so if i if i am creating something i have to give it my voice but in a way that touches with something that is is universal and eternal and that's what i should seek to do and when i do that uh, i connect with what the scholar of myth joseph campbell talks about when he says that uh, he argues that we we do not seek the meaning of life that's what uh, people mistakenly believe but he says what we truly seek is the rapture of being alive wow mm-hmm. amazing amazing <laughs> so prem i would like to conclude uh, with one last question so which is like what's what's the long term future of education given not just the the because what when um, i was speaking with bijoy and he said that we are dealing with materials here we are dealing with uh, earth and we are dealing with this sort of things and like how can online classes uh, are going to possibly help or youtube videos are going to help so i i don't want to restrict in such a narrow spectrum but at like a very broad spectrum of education in general of of how are what what's the story with values what's the story with the skill set and you must have given some thought about it so if you can share that we can conclude with that i think education will work only if it touches the core of what it is to be human and there are some things that are limited if you try and do that online so i agree that uh, with what uh, you said bijoy said but on the other hand online can have a, a sort of profound role also so like what the khan academy develops the idea of the flip classroom the, so you don't come to class to hear the lecture and then go back home to do your homework uh, what you do is you hear the lecture at home online through a video which you can pause and rewind and work at your own pace and discuss with a friend while you're watching it and then you come to class to work with peer groups on projects so you start learning from your peers also and not just from the guidance of a teacher so those kind of mixed formats i think are very powerful and that that's the future of education but we have to realize yes there have been profound changes in you know the digital world is you know that we know today didn't even exist 10 years ago and uh, there is profound change but you got to remember there are you know 
centuries and centuries of evolution that have conditioned us and we can't change the core of what it is to be human so easily. And uh, you have to uh, uh, become aware of that. And uh, the, basically, you started with talking about Zen and education. And, and the spirit of Zen is all about becoming aware. And it's, it's not that you change what you're doing. It's just that you do it with a different awareness. Uh, there's, there's another Zen saying that before enlightenment, chopping wood, carrying water. After enlightenment, chopping wood, carrying water. But you have understood the beauty. Yeah, I'm this. I'm adding something to that saying. But you know, you have understood the beauty and the spirit of water in the process. Yes, absolutely. And so, so, so you have to connect with that core, and that's fundamental, and that's not going to change. Whatever technological changes we throw at it, that's not going to change so fast. So you accept it, as, and and you work with it. And if that uh, happens, we will we will learn what it is, you know, to teach, what it is to educate. But if we don't do that, that will be just holding this false mask of uh, propriety, of skills, of uh, all kinds of other things that don't touch that core at all. Brilliant. I think uh, this is a good note to end. Uh, I'm, I'm so very thankful to you and, and Matter and Ruturaj uh, for helping me in this, like sharing your knowledge. It was really, really enriching. And uh, yeah, once again, many, many thanks. My pleasure. My honor. <laughs> okay. Thank you. That's it. And that's it from today's Gyan session. Catch us on iTunes, Savan, Stitcher or any podcasting app you use. Do rate us on iTunes and follow us on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. Stay tuned for more Gyan on audiogyan.com. Till then, bye. Hello. It's been a great week on the IBM Podcast Network. On this round is on me. Gauri is joined by Shweta Nanda. They talk about the financial independence and how it is to be a woman entrepreneur. On Anish Thing, Anish welcomes ultra-marathon runner Shibani Gharat. Shibani shares her journey of how she ran her first marathon, the mindset of a runner, and what it actually takes to run a full marathon. On Cock and Bull, Cyrus, Naveen, Akash and Shreyas talk about the Korean band BTS serving in the military and its repercussions. On Think Fast, Varun and Suchita discuss Wing Greens and their latest acquisitions and about the Indian sexual wellness market. And on Shuniwan, Sheila Ditya is joined by Dinika Bhatia, CEO and founder of Natigritis. They talk about coming from a business family and Dinika's journey in creating healthy and guilt-free snacking. Once again, don't forget to visit our merch store on ivmpodcasts.com. We have some exciting new merch out there for you. Also, do follow us on social media. We are IVM Podcasts on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram and LinkedIn. And do remember to spread the word about these shows and any other shows you might be listening to. Appreciate them, rate them and review them wherever you are listening to them. You can also check out all our other shows on youtube.com slash IBM Podcasts. And finally, we would like to thank our sponsors this week. Volvo XC40 Recharge, Bumble, Heads Up for Tales, Kotak Privy League Program and HDFC Mutual Fund. Thanks guys, without you this would not be possible. Do you often find yourself surrounded by conversations about Web3, Blockchain, NFTs, DAOs? What are these terms and how do they affect our future on the internet? So many questions, but don't worry, we've got answers to all your questions. Hi, I'm Eklavya Bhattacharya and on our show Future Proofing, we try to decode the impact of these future technologies on various industries with experts and tech enthusiasts. 
Tune into new episodes coming out every Thursday on the IVM Podcast app and the website or wherever you get your podcasts from.